Father, we just thank you this morning. What a gracious God you are. And first of all, we want to thank you for all that you do in our lives. And I, I don't think we fully comprehend the magnitude of your grace and love in our lives. I know that I don't, and I'm, and I'm still discovering more of who you are and how awesome you are, how gracious you are, how loving you are, how forgiving you are, how kind you are, and Lord, that you actually create standards by which you're trying to protect and bring life to us, Lord. And so I pray today that we will gain a deeper grasp of the reality of who you are and what you came to do, Jesus, and how the old covenant is really being revealed in the new covenant. And uh, really, we don't have to go back under a law, a system of law and function, but Lord, we can actually enter into relationship with you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. amen. Excuse me, my voice is getting better, believe it or not, every week. It's getting stronger, so I'm thankful for that. <clears throat> Some of you may not know the name Martin Van Buren. If you're a historical person and know a little bit about U.S. history, you'd recognize the name immediately. He was the eighth president of the United States. And uh, Martin Van Buren, uh, when he was the governor of New York, he was also part of the party that the current president at that time, Andrew uh, Jackson, was uh, currently the president, he wrote a letter because he was deeply concerned about a new invention that was gonna have huge ramifications in the country, and he was concerned that this new invention would put people out of work and that you know there would be a diminishment of the canal systems in which his state had a lot of canals, and so obviously he had some sort of uh, current concern about it. And so I wanna just, he writes all of these arguments why you know the president needs to be really concerned about the, the initiation of railroads. And I, I wanna just read the last, paragraph of his letter, because I think it's quite interesting. As you may know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are being pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles an hour by engines, which in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, because it's moving at 15 miles an hour, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring livestock, and frightening women and children. Just, that's his argument. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. Now, I, I just want to say to you guys that you all travel here today at breakneck speed. You know, and I just, you know, I, you know my mind is really working here. I could just see Martin Van Buren gets in a time capsule. He shot into the 21st century and we put him on an aircraft. I mean, he would really have some issues dealing with that. Now, we, we kind of chuckle at this. Aren't we not chuckling? You know, we go, in light of technology, we just go, you know, it's amazing in hindsight as we look back, we can see that many times our fears are unwarranted. Isn't that true? But because we know what we have today, the known, there's a sense of security in it. So moving forward is a little bit scary for some people. Now, there's the other folks, you know, I call them the techie junkies. You know, anything new is good, and they always want to be the first one to have the new technology. So there are always people that are innovative and they embrace us. Now, I'm going to just say something. Change for the sake of change is not necessarily good. I'm going to say that right up front. But when we, when we have a resistance to some change that would help us, that can also be a problem. And so we have a tendency to polarize in some of these situations. Now when it comes to spiritual things, change is really scary. 
And there are some changes that I think are unhealthy, and there's other changes that I think we need to make. And so the only way we're gonna have the kind of wisdom and understanding to know when we should change and what we should change to, and in light of how our culture's changing and the pressures that culture puts on the church to change, true, Now, there are some things we need to hold fast to. You know, the traditions, you know, some of us think tradition's a bad thing. No, tradition simply means that which is handed down. And there are some things that have been handed down that are very important, and you and I stand up for and say, hey, we gotta maintain this tradition. This is extremely important. But then there are other things that we try to hang on to that I think are unnecessary, and sometimes to our own detriment, and we're gonna see that in the story today. And I want us to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter five. We're gonna look at a parable, but we cannot understand this parable unless we look at it in the light of its context and what was happening before Jesus told the parable. It's the parable of the garments and the wineskins. Now, some translations say wine bottles. And I'm gonna tell you right now, wine bottles don't work with this analogy at all. I don't know what the translators were thinking when they used that analogy. It's gotta be wineskins to make this thing even work correctly, okay? Now, before we get to reading that story, I wanna move us up a little bit to an interesting story that happens, an event, an incident in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's found in chapter five and verse 27. And it says this, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, I wanna just say that one of the reasons why tax collectors were so unliked, here's the reason. Reason number one, they were collecting money from the for the enemy. How many know you're not gonna ingrate yourself with people when you're taking their money, but you're giving it to your enemies? How many say, that's not gonna make me happy? The second thing that they didn't like about tax collectors was the fact that the, the Romans did not care how much they took as long as they got their percentage. And some of these guys took a little more than was necessary, and so they were lining their own pockets. Now, how many know that that probably is not gonna endear you to a lot of people when you're taking out of someone else's pocket and lining your own? That's not gonna, you know, that's not the way to win friends, right, and influence people. That's just not gonna cut it. So these people were really not liked in the time of Christ. Does everybody follow that? I want you to have that understanding. This is not a group of people that everybody liked in their society. And so Jesus is coming along, and I have this funny feeling that Levi had probably gone out, like most people, they had heard about Jesus, probably maybe seen a miracle or two, probably had gathered with some of the crowds, listened to him speak, because when Jesus shows up, I don't know if he's going to pay his taxes or what, but he comes up to Levi here, and he says to him, right out of the blue, follow me, Jesus said to him, and an amazing thing happened. It says, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, I want to just tell you how significant that decision was. Do you know when you walk away from the Romans and walk away from this kind of a job, you just can't go back up and say, oh, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going back to get my job. I mean, literally, he burned his bridges. This is it. When you think of the other disciples, like the fishermen, when they followed Jesus, remember they left their nets, it says, and they went and followed Jesus. But then I read, little later on, after the resurrection of Jesus, what were they doing? They were fishing. So in essence, they could always go back to what they were doing. But when Matthew left, he couldn't do that. He literally went all out for Jesus. And I want to tell you why I know he went all out for Jesus, because of what he did next. It says in verse 29, then Levi, it says, he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house in a large crowd of tax collectors and others. Oh, 
I wonder who and the others were. I mean, already you can tell most good, moral, upstanding, loyal Jews aren't going to show up at that gathering. And so I got a funny feeling and the others were probably a category that the majority of people considered and the other sinners showed up at Matthew's place, right? So Matthew's going to make this great declaration to his friends that he says, I'm leaving the business. I've got a new employer. I'm following this man called Jesus, okay? It's a big declaration. But it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect, that's the Pharisees sect, complained to Jesus' disciples, and they said to them, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Warren Worsby says, you must remember that sharing a meal meant much more in the Middle East than it does in our Western culture. We don't have the same understanding of it. As a matter of fact, to eat bread was to form a covenant, to form a treaty, an alliance with these people. This is one reason why Jesus instituted a meal as, as a church ordinance. It reminds us that we belong to him and to one another. So we've come into an alliance with Christ. And that's what Matthew was doing. He's trying to help his friends meet his new loyalty, his new direction. Now for Matthew to do that, well his name was Levi, which means united. Now he's, his name gets changed. I think it's very significant. When Jewish people have names, there's always significance to them. He, Jesus changes his name to Matthew, which means gift of Jehovah. What does Matthew receive? The greatest gift of, God, of, of all. He's, he receives a gift from God. He's receiving God himself. He's receiving Christ. He's receiving eternal life. He's receiving a joy that he's never known. He's receiving a peace that he's never had. He's receiving a sense of belonging to, uh, and, and just a transformation of heart that is occurring in his life. So, I think there's another important observation that we need to look at when we look at the story was the fact that Matthew, after meeting Jesus, was concerned about everybody around him. You know, I'm really convinced that when we really meet Christ, it deepens our concerns for other people. And one of the things that happens is, and I think we take this for granted because, you know, we've grown up in a culture where Christianity has been a part of the mainstream of our culture, right, for the most part. But, you know, can you imagine going back to the first century, you're in a Jewish culture, and Christ comes on the scene, and you can imagine how threatening this all was to them. We're going to see that. I mean, Christianity was persecuted at the very beginning. It was a high threat to some people. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, as a Pharisee, before he was converted, he literally imprisoned Christians. He had them beat. He had some of them executed. I mean, this was not a nice situation. It was a a volatile situation, But I noticed this, that Matthew was so excited about what had happened to him that he wanted to share the good news with the people he he cared about, the people he knew, the people that were his friends. And I like what Charles Ralph says. He says, a converted man will not wish to go to heaven alone. You see, if you really care about people, you want people to experience what you have. You know, it's, it's amazing. Let's say you get a good deal. Let's say you go out and you find a great deal on something, and I can just see this. You're phoning your buddies going, hey, listen, this is a phenomenal deal. You gotta get in on it, right? You're kind of giving heads up, guys. This is so good. I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. I want you to, you know, right, save all this money or whatever. Whatever we're excited about, you know? 
If you're, let me say it to you this way. How many here, you have a moment of great joy in your life, and what do you do? You don't tell anybody. No, I don't think that can happen. I think what happens when we experience great joy and it's bubbling within us, we got to tell somebody. Isn't that true? And we'll pick up the phone and we'll pick up the phone and we'll phone the people that are the most important to say, listen to what happened to me, right? We want to tell somebody. And folks, when we really experience God's love and it transforms us, You know, the first thing we want to do is for other people to experience the same thing, that they would know this wonderful Jesus that we've gotten to know. And that certainly was true of what Matthew was going through. And so I always ask the question, are we concerned about others? People who have genuinely met Christ are concerned about other people. Just, you can't help yourself. God starts changing your heart. You just start getting concerned about other people. You start praying for them. You want other people to experience this amazing life called the Christian life. So then he, you know, then Jesus is challenged. Well, you know, why are you hanging out with these people? And then we get an incredible insight into the nature of God. God is more concerned about reaching out to others than about rules and regulations. How many kind of figured that out? You know, you know, I've read the Bible very carefully. He's really, you know, like they're saying, you know, why are you letting your disciples eat corn on the Sabbath? You know, Jesus says, well, you know, the Sabbath is really about, it's there for, the, for man's sake, not for God's sake. It's for our rest. It's for us to have an opportunity to worship God. He's basically showing it's not about keeping a rule. You know, I, I have that understanding. You know, we, years ago, we created this operational book for our church. It's called policies and procedures of Livingstone's church. And when we did it, I, I was really concerned. I said, you know, at the very beginning, this is on the f- leaflet, on the first page, before there's anything said, there's a little statement that says, these are guidelines. Guidelines. Now, I'm gonna just say this. How many really appreciate living in our country? You really app- I love living in Canada. And you know why I love it? Because there's a sense of order to our society. How many say, I appreciate that? It's a sense of expectation and order. And you know, you go to some other cultures and it's wild and woolly and there's no order and there's no structure and it's frustrating. You don't know what to do. You don't know who to talk to. And, it, you know? and so, in a sense, a bureaucracy or a procedure is created for the good of the people, right? But you know what one of the dangers of bureaucracy is? Is when we lose a sense of why we have it, which is to serve other people. And what happens is people get into these roles and they become what we call bureaucratic and all of a sudden the rules are more important than the people. And you see that we've lost a sense of the value of why we have a bureaucracy. I'm not suggesting bureaucracy is bad. I'm saying it's good until it loses its sense of purpose which is actually serving people. And see, Jesus gives us that wonderful sense of balance that it's here for people. And so sometimes, you know, I will, in a sense, do things in our church that at times people go, you're right on the edge, pastor, of really doing the right thing or the rule. I'm going, listen, I'm more concerned about the person. You know, and they're all guidelines anyways, and if we have a situation that arises not covered by the procedures, I go, hey, we have to recreate the rules to help serve the people. Does that make sense? Isn't that good? And that's what Jesus is like. I'm trying to explain to you the nature of God. God is more concerned about people than rituals or rules. You know what's really tragic? 
The Pharisees, think about this for a minute. Here they are telling us, we're the purest party, we're the worshipers of God. They have God in the midst, right? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. And what do they do? They help crucify the very one they say they worship. How many think that's a little bit ironic? How many say, you know, they're totally missing the point? How many understand that they were so enamored with the physical temple and its glory and its beauty. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient worlds, by the way. If you've ever been to Israel, and it's pretty impressive, you look from the Mount of Olives and you're looking at the Dome of the Rock. You know, it's pretty neat to have a gold little round tower there. I wanna just tell you, that's nothing compared to what the temple was in Jesus' day. The temple in Jesus' day was three times higher and it was made primarily of gold. It was breathtaking. That's why the disciples said to Jesus in Matthew 24, look at this temple. And Jesus goes, oh. He's thinking, you guys are totally missing it. I'm the temple. Because the temple is where God's presence is. And wherever Jesus went, he was the presence of God. True? And he said, don't be too impressed by this building. I'm gonna tell you, before this generation passes away, every stone is gonna be wiped out from this this edifice, and you know, when you go to Israel today, the wall that you're looking at, that's not the temple wall, that's the retaining wall around the temple. The temple was literally flattened and totally destroyed. So you know, a lot of times we get, we get so caught up with the things we see, and yet Jesus was in the midst. No wonder he's weeping over the city in, uh, math, uh, in Luke's gospel when he said, you know, he's crying over Jerusalem because he said, you know, the people did not see the day of their visitation. God was in their midst, and they were blind. They didn't get it. For the most part, they missed it. What a tragedy. Now, let me move on here. Oh, I'm gonna run out of time, I already can tell. I'm skipping stuff. Let me move on to my, my three points here and we're gonna get to one of them. The first concept, and I wanna talk about, because this is so important, I think a lot of us do not understand the superiority and why the New Testament is overshadowing the Old Testament. Or we go the other way. We don't understand the value of the Old Testament. We have no appreciation for it. We never read it, and we don't get it. But I want to talk to you about how the two are married together. How many were here last week when I talked about the Hesed of God? You were here last week. And what was I trying to do? I was trying to show you that the nature of God is the same in both Testaments. God has never changed. All these people that teach you that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God in the New Testament, they don't understand who God is. It's totally tied together. So how is there this relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? What is the relationship? Well, it's, it's simply this. I think, first of all, the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So everything that the Old Testament was promising, now God is delivering in the New Testament. How many think that's kind of neat? I like this. It's really powerful. As a matter of fact, it's interesting in Matthew's gospel, he uses the word many times, this was done in order to fulfill this. And then he quotes an Old Testament passage. Kind of neat. I want you to look at that in the future. When you're reading through Matthew, write a little note to yourself. I'm gonna look for how many times Matthew says 
that this action by Jesus or what's being done to Jesus is a fulfillment of what God said in the Old Testament. You'll be surprised. He says it an awful lot. As a matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says it this way. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, which is speaking of the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Wow. For, I, for truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappears, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. I want you to just think about what he's saying there. Until everything is accomplished. When was it accomplished? Thank you, on the cross. Remember the last words of Jesus. How many know last words are important? Someone's dying, it's their last words. How many think that might be an important word? You know what the last word of the cross is? Jesus is hanging, he says three words. It is finished. It is accomplished. It is fulfilled. I've done everything I needed to do to fulfill what you said. Isn't that neat? Now, think about this. I, I love this. And I did, it's not, well, let's go to our parable. Verse 36, and then I'll tell you this beautiful illustration. You'll like it. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old and the new one, and one pours out new, and, and no one pours out new wine into old wineskins Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, how many here have ever done a little bit of interior designing and you're trying to match up something? There's a thing called a dye lot. Some of you designers know what I'm talking about, okay? And what you're doing is you got tile or carpet or some wood or something. You're trying to match the same stuff, right? How many know? And you know what? It's really hard to do that. And I'll tell you why it's so hard to do it. Because everything, even though they tell you it's the same color, it never comes out exactly the same. Not perfectly. And then some of us were really smart. We'll go, I'll just get extra, right? And we do, and then what happens is we have a carpet, and it's four years old, and something happens to it. We cut it out. We're going to put the new stuff down. And you know what we discover? It doesn't quite match. Why? Because the old stuff is now faded, and have been affected by dirt and grime and all the rest of it. So it never totally matches up. And what Jesus is saying, that's what happens. You know, you put on a new piece of cloth and you throw it in the, you know, in our day, in the washing machine, it comes out, it's gonna start pulling. The materials don't adjust correctly. He says, it just doesn't work. And then he goes on and talks about wineskins. Now, what we need to understand is that why do you put new wine in a new wineskin? Because a new wineskin can expand. And what happens with new wine is gases form inside the wineskins and it causes the wineskins to expand. So if you actually put new wine into an old wineskin that has already expanded and the gases start forming, what's going to happen to the old wineskin? It breaks and the new cannot be contained in the old. And that was Jesus' argument for why we have a new covenant because the new cannot be contained in the old. As a matter of fact, it's fulfilling the old. Now, Warren Worsby brings it out this way. He says, take for an example an acorn. I can destroy it in one of two ways. I can put it on a sidewalk and beat it to the pulp with a hammer or I can plant it in the ground and when it dies, it produces an oak tree. 
How many know the oak, the acorn, then is being destroyed by fulfilling its what? Its purpose. And in a sense, when Jesus came on the scene, he was destroying the old covenant by fulfilling its purpose. And that's a great argument because, you know, I see Christians trying to go back under the old. Can I just tell you that's a mistake? What do you want to do? Sacrifice sheep every day for your sins? I'm just pointing these things out. And what do you want to do? It says that these, these are not going to take away the guilt of sin. And you're going to have to keep doing it every day because you know what? Guess what? We're sinners. Hello? Right? So you already know we have a superior sacrifice and that Christ came and died once and for all at the end of the age to do what? To take away our sin. Hallelujah. It's amazing. So why would we go back under the old? You know, and some of us go, well, yeah, it would be kind of nice. We could kind of wander in the temple. Yeah, but you could only go into the very presence of God. You could, and only the high priest once a year. But when Jesus died on the cross, the, the veil was torn in two. It, made, it was actually symbolic of a new and living way into the very presence of God so that you and I can come every single day into God's holy of holies. Isn't that amazing? That's a superior covenant, by the way. Think about that. Isn't that great? See, everything about the new is better, you know? But Jesus points out, you know what happens when you get used to the old? It's really hard to embrace the new. That's what he said. He says once, he goes on to say in this parable, he said, uh, chapter five, he says, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. He was basically saying, this is the reason why people are resisting embracing what God had promised. But by the way, God had promised a new covenant. You, can't, you have to see that in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says that. You know, God says, listen, I'm gonna create a new covenant. And in my new covenant, it's gonna be an internal covenant. Because you see, I've tried to get you guys to obey me, but how many have read the Old Testament and you realize people keep messing up? How many have read that? They keep messing up and God keeps forgiving them and he keeps warning them and they keep messing up and they keep forgiving them. How many of you it's a vicious cycle in the Old Testament? Anybody see that? So God says, I'm gonna create a new covenant. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pour out my spirit on you. I'm gonna put my laws in your heart. I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. I'm gonna put a desire in your heart to do the right thing. And how many here can say, you know, since I've become a Christian, all of a sudden I have a new desire. You know, before I had no thought of God and I had no interest in pleasing God, but now that I'm a Christian, I find that I have an interest in God and I have an interest in doing what's right. How many have noticed that? Yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, that's kind of amazing. He's changed us. He's transformed us. It's an amazing thing. So, let me, let me close with this. You know, and I love this. I'm sitting there listening to these lectures, and this guy's a theologian, and he's explaining something. He says, you know, Christi Christians are obsessed with Jesus. I like that. Because he said Christianity is not a bunch of rules and regulations and ethics and a way of life. It's not just a whole, you know, all of these things. What it is, it's about a person. And what we need to understand is when we become a Christian, we're trying to follow a person. And so you can get all the principles down, and here's what the problem is. And I, you, know, you can get into this trap, you go, well, I know the Bible, I know the principles, I know this, I know that. But what you don't know is what Jesus is about to do in your life. Come on now. And sometimes 
things happen in your life and you're going, I don't like what God's doing in my life. I'm not ready for this, God. I'm not enjoying where you're taking me right now. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because sometimes we get upset. How do you know we get upset? When we're not content in our current situation, we're frustrated, what we're basically saying is, God, I don't like the way you're running things. True. You know, because sometimes God does things, and we're going, I just don't like the way it's going down right now. But when you're following a person, what happens is you go, well, okay, we're going to go this way. Let's do it. You know, we just change our attitude. How many know life is primarily attitudinal? Once you get it in your head, hey, I'm just going to flow with God. If he wants to do it that way, hey, let's do it that way. It's great. You know, he knows what's best anyways, right? And if I have to run through a bunch of stuff I'm not currently enjoying, I'm learning something. I'm going, I just know in my heart of hearts that this is going to work out for good. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to mature. I'm going to have a deeper understanding of who God is. I'm a greater compassion for people. Right? Come on now. That's the way it works. But we have a problem with that. See, because Christianity isn't just about the ethics and the morality and the rules. It's about following a person who cares about people. And sometimes he does stuff and we go, I can't believe God's forgiving this person. I like to wring their neck. Right? Anybody like that? You know, sure. But here's the good news. God says, no, I'm going to save them. Oh, why? I don't like them, God. Well, he says, once I save them, you'll start liking them. They'll start shaping up. They'll change. They'll get transformed. This, this is pretty good, you know. See, there's always hope as a Christian because you never know what God's about to do. He can do the impossible. Isn't that great? So we're ending point one. We're, come, we're at the end. I'm going to stop. So I want to stop on time. What am I trying to say today? I'm trying to tell us this. Change is difficult. And it's really difficult when it comes to the spiritual arena because we think we've got it all figured out. And what I'm gonna to suggest to you is when you're following Jesus, you have no idea where you're going. You say, well, yeah, 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 I'm going to heaven. Yeah, but you don't know the route you're taking to get there is what I'm pointing out. Some of you think you're wandering the wilderness. You know, I preached that last week. You think you're wandering all over the backside of the desert. You think God lost his GPS. You know, he doesn't know where he's taking us. You know, I could just see the Israelites, you know, they're marching out of Egypt, you know, everything's going great. And then they check, you know, the cloud by day, the fire by night. Who's, who's got, the GPS is working. God is right there leading them to where? The Red Sea. Some of them go, you know, I think the GPS is wrong, God. Look where you brought us. There's mountains on both sides, desert behind, Red Sea in front. Now you've got an army behind us. Kind of made a mistake, didn't you, God? You kind of boxed us in. God goes, no, I didn't. I wanted to do something. I want to part the Red Sea. Oh, I didn't think of that. Isn't that the way God works in our life? God is leading us and he brings us and we go, God, I think you made a mistake here. I think the GPS got broken in my life. This is not where I want to be. And God goes, yeah, it's exactly where I want you to be. Because I want to do something now. Something you cannot do. Only I can. I want you to trust me. Okay, God, what are we doing? Uh, we're going to part a new Red Sea in your life. Hey, that, boy, it takes a little bit of nerve to stand there when somebody's beating down on you and you're waiting for the Red Sea to part. These guys panicked. Did you guys know that? I've read my Bible. They were panicking. Moses, what does he say to these guys? He says, stand still. Be quiet. Watch the salvation of your God. 
and a mighty wind came up and the water parted. The Bible says they crossed on dry ground. I'm impressed. But when the Egyptians rode in, it wasn't dry ground to them. Their wheels got stuck. Uh, You said, didn't the Israelites have some conveyances with wheels? Yeah, I think they did. I think God said, you know, I just dried it up for the moment. I let a little water seep in afterwards when the Egyptians rode in. You know, I just think the way God works. See, he knows what he's doing. Why am I saying all of this to us? Because change is hard. It's hard to trust God, isn't it? Sure it is. So let's stand this morning. I'm telling you conversion, and I, I didn't, couldn't even get into the whole sermon, but conversion is such a radical thing. You know, the, the New Testament transforms the old. It's a transformation. You know what that word means? Metamorphosis. It's used three times in the New Testament, change. God is talking about a transformation. You know what I love? God is in the business of transforming our lives. I'm gonna hear say, you know, I think God needs to work on me a little bit. There needs to be a little bit of change in my life. I need to have this spiritual awakening happen. You know, first of all, sometimes we think, you know, Christianity is just an intellectual thing. Let me tell you something. If you're not experiencing change, it's just in your head. Because I'll tell you, when you meet Jesus, he changes you. Joy starts flooding your life. Peace floods your life. Hope floods your life. You just go, this is amazing, you know? And he gives you a new heart and a new desire. And all of a sudden, the things that you were once consumed with, now you're going, you know, I'm not really that interested in those things anymore. I'm losing a desire for this stuff, and I've got a new desire for the things above. And then every once in a while, we get sucked in. It's called idolatry. And you know what happens in idolatry? We start embracing false substitutes to try to meet our needs. And what are our needs? Well, to be loved, to know somebody cares about us. By the way, the one who made you cares about you more than any other person on the planet. No one loves you as much as God does. I can tell you right now. God loves you and I so much, it's mind-boggling how much he loves us. But you know, a lot of times we just say, well, I'm gonna just go do my thing. God goes, well, I'm not gonna stop you because I love you. I'll let you choose. But just, just be warned. You do that, there's consequences to those decisions. Isn't that true? A lot of times we suffer because we make poor choices. What am I saying to you today? Trust God. Allow him to change you. Embrace following this person called Jesus. Wherever he takes you, you know? It's an amazing journey. It's gonna take you to places you never thought you'd go before. He's gonna take you outside your comfort zones. I hate you. I hate that when you say that, Pastor. I like comfort zones. We all do, we all want security, but I'm gonna tell you, a lot of what we want is what I in term false security because it's just a a pretense of security. There is no such thing as security apart from God. Wherever he is, we can be secure. No matter how our circumstances are playing out, we have security. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't be afraid of the changes because you know, life is full of them. You can't control things. It's not gonna stay the same. You're gonna have to move at breakneck speed, more than 15 miles an hour. I'm just warning you, you know, and some of us are going, I don't know if I can handle that, you know? What am I saying to you? With God, he can take you to places you've never been before. God can move you outside of the zones that you've lived in all of your life. 
He wants to do that, but we have to be willing to trust him. You see the change that needs to happen? For me to change, I can't just keep doing the same things over and over again. How many go, that kind of makes sense, Pastor. So what does that mean? What should I be doing? What you should be doing is saying, God, I'm gonna put you first. I'm gonna seek your face. I'm gonna walk closely with you. I'm gonna do what you ask me to do, wherever it takes me. And for me, it's taken me halfway around the world. For me, it's taken me to places I never thought I would go, to speak to people I never knew I would ever meet. You know, God will take you on a journey. And he'll take you sometimes out of things that are comfortable and that are gonna stretch you and challenge you, but you're gonna grow. You're gonna grow as a person. You're gonna become more compassionate, more understanding, more forgiving, more loving. By the way, is that what, that's what holiness is all about, by the way. It's becoming like Jesus. And in this room, how many here say, you know what, I, I still need some work done in my life because I'm not quite like Jesus. Anybody here not quite like Jesus yet? He's still got things to do in your life? So what I'm trying to tell you to do is something very scary today. Say, Lord, I'm prepared to go on a journey that's gonna bring change in my life and you're gonna move me outside of my security blanket in my comfort zones, but I'm just gonna trust you. That's what it's all about for me. It's just learning to trust you and to walk with you and to obey you and to have a tender heart, to hear your voice and to do your will. And I'll tell you something, God will lead your life. I can guarantee you, God will lead you. Just don't go do your own thing. Just don't get ahead of God. That's what we all wanna do. Yeah, I got an idea here. I think I'm gonna do this. Stop that. Let, let the thing unfold. You know, God can call you to all kinds of things. I remember I was just getting done my doctorate degree and I said to the Lord, you know, Lord, I've really worked hard at this because I wanted to make myself available to actually be more effective in communicating to more people. And you know, within a few weeks, Dr. Thomas came up to me at a conference and said, I need you to help me in India. I thought, I don't have any kind of a burden for India. I'm just being flat out honest. I had no burden for India. He said, I really need you to help me in India. When I had just prayed this prayer, God, I'll go and do whatever you want me to do. I just prepared myself for that. Then someone asked me to go help them. I go, okay, I'll go to India, you know? And, and it was a good thing for me because I'll tell you what happened. It made me grow as a person. I got involved in a different culture. I got to know people of great faith. I got challenged by an amazing person. You know, I've got friendship with a wonderful, godly leader. It changed my life for the better. You know, I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's changing me. And I'm trying to tell you something. God wants to bring about transformation in our lives. And you know, we can hang on to the old. We can stay into the old covenant like these Pharisees did and in the process actually crucify what God wants to do in our own lives, which is really sad, short-circuiting God's purpose for ourselves. But we can say, okay, God, you got me. Lock, stock, and barrel, wherever we're going. If it's by the Red Sea, I'm ready to go there. I'll be a little nervous, I have to be honest, but I'm prepared to go with you wherever you're gonna take me. And when Levi heard that call, he got up, and he said, okay, I'll follow you, Jesus. And he turned his back on the life he had known to follow Christ. And I believe that, you know, the Christian call is really turning her back on the values of our culture. It's turning her back on living a life for ourselves. It's turning our face forward to God and going, okay, you've got me. What are we doing together? 
It's not my will, but yours. It's not my agenda, but it's yours. And God goes, great. Now you can grow. With every head bowed, how many say, Jesus is passing my way today. Right now in these pews, he's coming by. He's been speaking into your life, and he's saying to you, come and follow me. And that's you today. You hear the voice of the Spirit of God saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. I don't want you to live hanging on to a false sense of security. I want you to walk with me and let go of what you had. And I want you to just follow me as a person and be willing to live out my will for your life. And if that's you today, just raise your hand. You said it's me. I want to do this. I want to hear the call of God in my soul. I want to follow you, Jesus, wherever it takes me. It may mean losing some things. It may mean losing some friendships. It may mean losing a a cherished desire that I have. But let me point out something. What God has to replace what you're giving up is far greater than what you're losing. Matthew lost a lot of earthly wealth. But how many know in eternity, Matthew goes, the greatest decision I ever made was the day I turned my back on being a tax collector and following Christ. I don't regret that day. Even though in Matthew's life, he was martyred. He was executed. He lost his life for Christ. But you think now in eternity, he goes, oh, that was a bad decision? Or do you think he's saying, greatest decision I ever made was to follow this person called Jesus. It'll change your life. I'll tell you right now, following Christ will change your life. But you've got to give him all of your life. I think a lot of times we give him 99.4. We're holding back 0.4. You know, we've got to, listen, we've got to surrender the whole works. Lord, I give my life to you. Wherever you take me, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do. I'm just going to follow you. It's a great journey. And that's you today. You're saying, I hear the call of God in my soul. I'm going to follow him no matter where it takes me. At the end of the day, I can guarantee you, you're going to be so happy you said yes to him. Father, I thank you for people that are hearing your voice speaking into their innermost being. They're hearing a call right now to follow you implicitly and being willing to give up, you know, the past, the things that we're holding on to, the false sense of security, the things we don't want to change in our life. But Lord, you're going to bring it about. The world as we know it is changing right now and it's changing rapidly. The world as we envision it's not going to be the future we perceive, but it's going to be a future you're going to develop. And Father, we can feel a sense of security if we're walking with you. We can learn to understand the true way of Christ by following you as a person. Not just a bunch of rules and regulations. Lord, we, we think those, some of those things are important. Even as we see bureaucracy is important. But it becomes a bondage and a lack of joy when we make those things what we serve rather than serving you by serving others. And we just thank you today that as we surrender to you that your will and purposes will be accomplished in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.